Max and I have known each other. It's been 20 years now. Uh, in 2003, we moved to Kentucky, and um, we were going to go you know, look at various churches, and we had plans to go to a, uh, a church on a Sunday. And on Saturday, my wife, Jennifer, met another Jennifer in line at the dollar store, and this other Jennifer... Uh, had uh, invited my wife to come to their church. And so when my wife came home, she said, oh, we're not going to go to that church we were planning on. We're going to go to a, a church called Church of the Savior or something like that. Uh, I met this really uh, you know, wonderful person in, in line at the dollar store, and she invited her, us to her church. And so, uh, so 20 years ago, uh, we met Max and Jenny, and uh, so, yeah, Max was still in diapers at the time, uh, <laughs> diapers and a bow tie. <laughs> so, well, when he gave me a call to, to come and speak, it was, you know, this was, this was a, a great opportunity. I said, I'm going to take it. So, yes, so, so glad to be here with you. Um, as you can see from the screen, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17 today. And... Um, the title of the message is, God is Calling, and it's a call for change. Change? Did he say change? We don't like change, do we? Sometimes change can be scary. Uh, I was working for Jessamine County Public Schools for a little while, and uh, we have to have a, a password on our on our accounts or email accounts and so forth that's 15 characters long. And then in six months, they told us, you have to change it. <laughs> so I figured out to fill out the 15 characters, I changed my password. I changed my password to I don't like change. <laughs> it works out, 15 letters. <laughs> Change. We don't necessarily like change. Change is, is not always a good thing. Sometimes it can hit us pretty hard. Take, for instance, oops, I've got to turn this mic on. There you go. Take, for instance, the story, The Adventures of a Boomer at Taco Bueno. $5.30. That's what the kid behind the counter at Taco Bueno said. I dug into my pocket and I pulled out some lint, a couple of dimes, and something that used to be a Jolly Rancher. And all I had in my wallet was a five spot, so I started to head back to the truck to, to, to root around for some loose change. And that's when this kid with the purple hair said the harshest thing that anyone had ever said to me, this emo kid. He said, it's okay, I'll just give you the senior citizen discount. <laughs> I turned to see who he's talking to. And I heard change hitting the counter. 477, he said cheerfully. I stood there stupefied. I'm still in my 50s. I'm not 60 yet. 
Senior citizen. Who is he calling a senior citizen? Well, I took my burrito and stormed out to the truck, but by now my blood was just boiling. Was this kid blind? I'll show him. I charged back inside the, 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 the taco bueno and up to the counter, and before I could say a word, he held something up and started jingling at me and said with a smile, dude, can't get far without your keys. <laughs> So I stared in disbelief. I began to rationalize in my mind, well, you know, forgetting your keys and leaving them behind, it hardly makes me an old man. I mean, that could happen to anybody, right? So I turned around with keys in hand and my tail between my legs and I headed back for the truck. I slipped the key into the ignition. Nothing. It wouldn't turn. What now? So I switched keys, and I tried again. Still nothing. And that's when some things became, started coming into focus, like beads hanging from the rearview mirror. <laughs> I don't have beads hanging from my rearview mirror. And some other things started coming into focus. A car seat in the back seat. Happy Meal toys all over the floorboard. Well, faster than you can say ginkgo biloba. For those who don't know, ginkgo biloba is supposed to help memory. Okay. I flew out of the alien vehicle, and within seconds, I was tearing out of that parking lot and speeding down the highway. Glad to be done with that nightmare. Then it hit me. I'm still hungry. So I reached for... For, for my burrito. I reached for my burrito. Nowhere to be found. And I whipped the truck around and walked back into Taco Bueno one more time. And there stood the little troll doll. Purple hair, black nail polish. And I thought, what is this world coming to? But I didn't say it. All I said was, did I leave my food here? And, of course, he didn't know anything about it. He had no clue. So I started walking back out to the truck. And a little boy came up and tugged on my jeans, and he handed me a bag and a drink. And his mother said, I think you left this in our truck by mistake. <laughs> I took my food and my drink, and I sheepishly apologized. And she offered these kind words it's okay, my papa does the same kind of thing all the time. Yeah, papa. <laughs> all of this to explain how I got a ticket doing 85 and a 45. Yes, I was racing some over-competitive soccer mom in a Prius. And no, I told the officer, I'm not too old to be driving this fast. So when I got home, I walked through the front door and I handed my wife a cold burrito and a $300 speeding ticket. I sat myself down in a rocking chair and covered my legs with a blanket. <laughs> the only good thing about that day was I had found the right house. So <laughs> yeah, change hits us. And it's as hard sometimes, right? Well, change. Did he say change? Yes, he said change. 
Now, fortunately, not all change is bad. Not all change hits us in such an unsettling way. Sometimes change is for the good. Sometimes it's for the better. But this morning, I want to talk to, how, talk to you about how God wants to change us, not just for the good, not for the better, but for the best. God wants some change in us. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. I've got it up on screen in the New International Version. If you have a different version, it may read just a little differently, but I think we'll get to the same point. All right? So from Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Pay attention to that, three Sabbath days. Explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and to rise from the dead. I'm just going to interrupt myself again. Christ had to suffer in too many of our churches. And so much of what we hear on Christian radio, we don't hear enough about the suffering Christ and the suffering that we have to endure as well. Well, we like to hear about all the good stuff, you know. And we see on Facebook, you know, if um, good things are coming your way, if you type in amen, then you're going to get a big chunk of money. And it's amazing how many people that I know will type in amen. <sighs> Come on, people, get with it. <laughs> Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to find them out to the, or to, in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Yeah, I bet they were thrown into turmoil. Can you imagine if I were to walk in here and say, there's another pastor in here now. Max is not our pastor. I think some people would go into turmoil. <laughs> some people might find tomatoes somewhere and start throwing them at me. Yeah, there would be turmoil. There would be chaos. Well, that's what happened there, and that's what happens sometimes in our world too. 
and people overstep their bounds. But were they really overstepping their bounds? Now, as we look at the passage here, the first thing I see is that we need to let God change us. You need to let God change you. I need to let God change me. Verse 4, it says that some, were, uh, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Some were persuaded. Have you ever been persuaded something that you didn't ever think possible? Husbands, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Women, our, our wives have a way of persuading us, don't they? But Paul and Silas, in their preaching, in the power of Christ, they were able to persuade some of the Jews, and it says a, a good number of God-fearing Greeks, people who had seen that the, the God of the Jews was the real God, and it says not a few prominent women, some of those prominent women became partners in ministry with, with Paul and Silas. Thank God for women who speak the truth from the scriptures. Uh, I am one who um, affirms women in the pulpit. <laughs> so there were some that were immediately responsive to Paul's message. And some took more convincing and that's why Paul had to stay there for three weeks, three Sabbath days. He stayed there for three weeks. It wasn't just, you know, uh, come to the stadium and hear Paul preach, and then Paul's gone. No, he went to where they were in the synagogue for three full weeks. And people got to know Paul during that, those three weeks and they got to know he was sincere, and they got to know that what he had to say was truth. But they had to be willing to hear from him. You know, when we hear the word change, I think of the, 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 the joke about, you know, how many people from this denomination does it take to change a light bulb? You've probably heard that before. You know, like how many... Um, Pentecostals, does it, change, uh, does it take to change the light bulb? Only one, the hands are already in the air. Um, how many Methodists does it take? You know, the, well, you know, the, they have the, the committee, yes, you know, and, uh, and whether you're uh, an incandescent light bulb or whether you're a fluorescent bulb or whether you're a tulip bulb, you're welcome, you know, and... The Baptists, they, they have to have the committee about it, and then they, um, you know, all, all the, the number of people that it takes to form the committee, and then to elect somebody to change the light bulb and so forth. The Episcopalians, it takes about five people, you know, four to change the light bulb and one to stir the drinks. Um, Lutherans, what do you mean change? <laughs> you know, they don't like change in the Lutherans. How many Amish does it take to change a light bulb? Well, what the answer is, what's a light bulb, right? <laughs> so change, you know, all these things. One more joke about change. How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to be willing to change. 
It has to want to change. We have to be willing to change. Are we willing to consider that God has more for us? Are you willing to consider that God has more for you personally, for your family, for this church, for your city, for your region? Are you willing to consider that God has more than the status quo? Some were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas because they had a willing heart and they were open to what God wanted to change in their lives. Still others were jealous from verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Yeah, sounds like they were jealous. These people were not receptive at all. They had a corner on the truth. They resented the idea of change. Not only were they not open to it, they resented the idea of change. And they were jealous because change meant that they might lose their seats of power, their traditions, their groove that they had going on in the community. Do you know the difference between a groove and a grave is? Less than six feet. Doesn't take long for a groove to become a grave. Sometimes our traditions can get us in such a rut that we become dead to the world. You've all heard of the seven deadly sins. Let me tell you, from a pastor's perspective, the seven deadliest words of a church, that's the way we've always done it. (laughs) I thank God for churches like generations that aren't afraid to try new things, that aren't afraid to reach out to people in new ways, that aren't afraid to speak into people's lives, that aren't addicted to that's the way we've always done it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not, do not, Do not, okay, the three times was me, but do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Be teachable, remain teachable. That's one of my, my recurring themes in my life. David, remain teachable. Don't think you know everything. No matter how much you've experienced, no matter how much you've been taught in school, remain teachable. Be willing to learn by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
if you want to know God's will and follow God's will, you need to be willing to let God change you. Let's make it more personal. If I want to know and follow God's will, then I need to be willing to let God change me. That's the first thing. That's the first step is letting God change you. The second thing that I see here in this is that we should be changing lives for God. Not just for good, but for God. Paul's goal was to change lives. People, we want to change the lives of others around us as well. Not just change our own life, but we want to reach out and help change other people's lives. Can I ask you something? What do you think of when you think of someone who has the quote-unquote gift of evangelism? What do you think of? Do you think of some slick talker? Some, excuse me if there's anyone in this in this room today of, of, of this uh, profession, a used car salesman, a, a someone who's able to sell ice cubes to Alaskans? Is that what you think of when you think of somebody who has the gift of evangelism who can just slick talk and, and has a quick presentation that can change people's hearts and minds in just a moment? Now close your eyes for a second and think who was it that led me to Christ? Who was it that led you to Christ? Just let me hear from you for a second. I don't want to do all the talking. Who was it that led you to Christ? A family member? A parents? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to remember that. Uh, okay. Yeah, p- people a lot of times will say family, we have parents, grandparents, perhaps a mentor, somebody you like to church, <laughs> a teacher, close friend. What's that? Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's our school, yeah. So, how many of those were slick-talking salesmen? How many? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe the crush, yes. How many of you are slick-talking salesmen? Not many. Yeah. Okay, not many of us are slick-talking salesmen, but we can all work to change people's hearts and minds. Yeah, Paul's goal was to change lives, and that's what God had in mind when he said to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, go or 
as you go and make disciples of all nations. Be who you are, but be who you are in Christ. Make Christ part of your daily conversation. Just let it flow from you because he's in you. He's got great power in you. Just be willing. Maybe change who you are a little bit. Be willing to let God come out. (laughs) And be willing to let God use you to change others. Our goal ought to be like that of Paul, to change people's lives, not just for good or for better or but for the best, to change lives for God. Now, his goal was to change lives. His method was to change hearts and minds. Now, there's a lot of different ways that people have tried to evangelize the world. Things like world dominance. They've tried to do that. Verbal attacks. But you know what? We find that those really aren't effective means to gain true conversions. You know? Take, for instance, the Spaniards when they came to the Americas and they converted, quote-unquote, converted the, the, the people, the indigenous people. What happened? A lot of these people would run into the... Uh, into, into the forest, into, into the jungles, okay? And whenever the priests came to town, they would disappear. There would be just a few people left in the, little, in the little town, the little village for the services. And then when the priests left, people came back out of the jungles and they would continue to practice their traditional religions and Uh, animism, and all kinds of different things, all kinds of isms. So that's not really an effective way to win converts, is it? I heard one time another way that's not recommended. I heard of this guy who who would find an atheist. You don't know, but you're an atheist today, okay? And they would debate, and he would get this guy to agree If I can prove to you that the Bible is true, will you become a believer? And the guy would say, sure. I don't believe it's true, but if you can prove it's true, then I'll become a believer. So he would grab him by the nose, and he would start to twist and turn and yank it. And he would quote Proverbs 30, 38, that says, the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. Yeah, he may have produced blood, but he didn't produce a believer, did he? <laughs> I would say he, what he produced was one ticked-off unbeliever, <laughs> and he may have bloodied his nose. We're instead to follow Paul's example, to use Scripture, to use reason, an investment of time, three whole weeks, 
Paul was there. That's what Paul used, scripture and reason and this investment of time. Think about when God spoke to Moses and he wanted Moses to lead people out of Egypt. What did he say to Moses? He said, Moses, what is in your hand? Now, maybe you're not a a great debater like Paul was. So maybe the idea of using scripture and reason is maybe not. But you have a testimony of how God changed you. Use what's in your hand. And what Paul did was he went to where they were. He went into the synagogue. As he was going, he went to where they were, where he was going. He found them at a point of commonality. And from there, he was able to change some lives for God. What's in your hand? What can you use? For God. Years ago, a friend of mine who's a pastor was preparing final notes on his sermon on a Saturday evening in his study at home. As he was contemplating what he was going to be asking people to do that Sunday, he started to sing. Change my heart, oh God. And his little two-year-old son piped up and started singing, My achy, breaky heart. (laughs) Well, we need to ask ourselves, will I let God change me? Will I let God change me? Will I dare to ask others to change? Will I dare to be a change agent for God, to help others? Lord, change my heart. Change my heart, O God. And use me to change some achy, breaky hearts around me as well. Amen? Amen.